Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Welcome to Simple Church. My name is uh, Aaron. I'm the lead pastor here. And welcome to a brand new series we are starting today called The Struggle is Real. Because it is, folks. The struggle is real. And uh, before I jump into what we're going to talk about this week, I want to do something first. I want to welcome all of our guests. We have so many people that are here. We have a lot of people traveling as well that are out of town. But we do have a a lot of people that are, are, are visiting. Maybe you're here with family, or maybe you just found a church on a Thanksgiving weekend, and we appreciate that. In fact, this round of applause is for you to let you know how thankful we are that you are here with us. Thank you so much. And I uh, want to give you a couple, a couple quick announcements. Hey, uh, Christmas on the Town is this Saturday. Get involved in that. The sign-up sheet is out at the guest center. We, need, we have two shifts. We need six people to help out each, each shift. Doesn't matter how long you've been coming to Simple Church, you can get involved. Also, next Sunday is our photo booth Sunday. Uh, You can get a Christmas photo taken with your family members. Doesn't matter how you dress, whether it's dress up or dress down or, hey, I forgot and I showed up and and this is what I'm wearing. I'm going to get a Christmas picture. So please enjoy that next week. Uh, But on top of that, we also have youth this this Tuesday uh, that meets here at 7 o'clock. And then after service today... We have something called Starting Point. It doesn't matter how long you've been coming to Simple Church. If you are still not yet connected, you're not connected through a grow group, you're not involved in a serve team, and you want to find out, how do I do that? You know, it's kind of, I've been hanging around a long time, and I don't, I don't even know how to get involved. How do I do that? Come to Starting Point. It's directly after service, and I will meet you there and share some information with you. Ten minutes of your time would be a wonderful thing, and, and that is a good thing. Starting Point is a good thing, whether you're a brand-new Christian or you've been walking with Christ for a long time. It shows you how to get involved in what we're doing here at Simple Church. So that session is for you directly after service. Come see me in the conference room right off the cafe. All right. So I also want to take another moment. Sorry, this is just my stage, and I'm going to do it. Can I just tell you that it's incredible that, that God just overwhelms me with what he's doing here. The last Sunday, uh, here at Simple Church, we saw six people say yes to Jesus, and that just touches my heart. It's an incredible thing. And then I went and preached, yeah. And then I went and uh, preached Sunday night at a, where there's a recovery group that meets on Sunday nights here called Summer Rays, and it's, it's a uh, uh, sober housing or sober living uh, group. And I go and I preach there once a month, and last Sunday I went and, uh, and I preached Jesus to that group, and uh, four more people said yes to Christ. So last Sunday, we had 10 people say yes. Like, God is doing something great, and I'm excited to be a part of it. So I just want to share that and celebrate that with you. It's exciting. It's exciting. So, all right, let me introduce this brand new series. Let me, we're, let's talk about it. So the struggle is real. Is really going to be us diving into and looking at the impact that technology is having on us and having on this generation. In fact, I think people for years will study the impact that social media has had on this generation uh, for years to come, the way that it has changed who we are as a people and the way that we now live as a result of it, as, as the readily, readily, uh, readily access that we have to the internet and not just social media but to uh, 
just to the internet in general. I mean, it used to be you'd have to sit down at a computer and type, but now you go everywhere and it's in your pocket, right? You carry it with you. Life has changed. Some of you are really, really nervous about the idea of even leaving your phone like anywhere. Like, you know, you worry that, hey, I'm, I'm going to miss a text or a notification. Like if it's in the other room and you can't get there because you're preoccupied, like everything on your mind is like, how do I get to my phone? Like, <laughs> I'll send somebody to go get it. I will find someone. I will trick them and I will pay them and they will go get my phone and relieve me of the stress that I'm experiencing right now. But I think technology has offered some great advantages and a lot of disadvantages to us. And I, I think it's important that we look at how it's affected our relationships, how it's affected the way we consume content, where we get our news from, how we learn things about each other. And it's important that we, that we look at it. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to examine this. Next week, we're going to look at relationships and how our relationships have been in, uh, impacted. Because I think because of social media, we have a form of companionship now without the responsibility of the relationship, right? Like we know everything that's going on in each other's lives, but we haven't like actually spoken to each other like face-to-face in a long time. You know, it's like, oh, did you see that on my post? That's the way we talk to each other now, right? It's not like, hey, the other day I did this. It's like, did you see my internet... Did you see my post on Facebook the other day? Which one? I see all of your posts. Like, which one are you talking about? And so we, we talk to each other that way. Uh, and, and it's funny how uh, even though we're more connected through social media and through the internet and through text messaging and phone calls, and we're more connected and yet we're even more isolated than ever before. It's just crazy to me. So we're going to look at that one week. And then another week we're going to look at rest. The great thing about technology is it provides us with access to a lot of things, and I don't know how I would live without this technology. I remember when it first came out, there was a lot of people that were resistant to a smartphone or resistant to the internet on your phone, and people were just like, ah, I don't want that, Facebook, Twitter, what is that? I don't even know. They're late adopters to it, and they're just starting up, and you know, Facebook has been around for 10 plus years now, and people were resistant to it. But now that I'm a part of it, and now that they're a part of it, they're like, I don't know how I was living without it, right? And what technology does is, like, especially with our phones, like, every app that you get, every social thing that you plug into, every person that you meet, you are now getting notifications, the, your media feeds, your, your news feeds, everything that you want to follow is, like, dinging all the time, ding, 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 jeez, Periscope, somebody's on Periscope, I got to watch them, somebody just said something interesting over there, did you see the photo of my friend? It's coming at us all the time, and what it's doing is it's making us more and more busy, And what's happening is we're busy about all these things and we're responding to the notifications and we're responding to the technology and to the social media in our lives, but we're neglecting the important things. Rest is one of those important things. And so we're going to look at that. Today, what we're going to do is is we're going to look at contentment. uh, And and the reason we're going to look at this stuff and the reason I think it's important that we look at technology is because I think we're all a little bit addicted to it, right? I think we're all a little addicted to it because let's be honest. When I, I used to keep my phone next to my bed, I don't do that anymore, and we'll talk about that in the weeks coming up, but I used to keep my phone next to my bed at night because when I get up in the middle of the night, when you're an old man like me, I'm 36 years old, I get up every single night in the middle of the night to go pee. That's just what I do. I got to use the restroom. And when you're an old man like me and you get up and you got to go, I don't know if you're like me in this regard, but it is pitch black in my bedroom. My wife is resistant to some nightlight of any form or fashion. She will not allow it to be in the room. And so what I would do is I would grab my phone because I found the bedpost with my toe way too many times that I'd like to mention. You know what I mean? And so I use my phone as a nightlight to to kind of light up my path so I can get to the bathroom safely. But what happens? You get to the bathroom and you wind up, well, I wonder what people are doing at 3 o'clock in the morning. And so you swipe and you start looking at Facebook. And a half hour later, maybe embarrassingly so, an hour later, you've 
stayed up and followed everybody on Facebook, but you were wise enough not to post because you don't want anybody to know you were up in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? You don't want your wife to know. You don't want anybody to know. Why were you on my wall at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? You just don't, you just don't do it. But you, you lose an hour of your life. We're addicted, right? We can't even go to the restroom without looking at our Facebook. We can't spend five minutes idle without pulling out our social media and going, what's going on? Well, I don't want to miss anything. We're addicted to it. It's impacting us, and it's challenging us and changing us in a lot of different ways. And so this connection is, is incredible. Do you know that 80% of teenagers go to bed with their phones? 80% of them. The other 20%, you know why they don't? Because they're on restriction. Their phones have been taken away from them. Because all teenagers go to bed with their phones. They say that boys send 3,300 text messages a month, and girls send over 4,500. Is that a surprise to anybody? That's a lot. Y'all remember back in the day when we used to have like that keyboard was on your phone and it was just a bunch of numbers? Like it was three letters on each number and the text message was such a pain, man. The struggle was real. <laughs> like, don't send me a text message. Just call me when you had those little phones, right? Plus your text messages, you had like 20 free a month or something like that. And then after that, you were paying per text message, right? Does anybody remember this time? Some of y'all are just too young. You don't know what I'm talking about. You're really thankful when somebody would call you or send you an email because you did not want to pay for those text messages or spend the time. The struggle was real, man. And so this week, we're going we're gonna to look at these unique challenges that, that this technology, the impact that it's had on us, and I think it's important that we do. And so this week, we're going to focus on contentment because I think that we are a generation that has never had more, yet we are so dissatisfied. We're a generation that's never had more more opportunities, more stuff, more resources, and yet we're so dissatisfied. There's this constant push inside of us. We call it our drive, and it's not a bad thing, but there's always a constant push for more. We want to accomplish more. We want to do more in our career. We want to grow financially. We want, to, uh, we want our relationships to be better. We want everything in our lives to be better. It's this constant push for more, and that's not a horrible thing, but I would say social media makes that, that push even worse. It drives us even harder than, than what, how we should be driven. Why? Because, well, honestly, we're seeing a lot more than we used to. We're seeing a lot more new stuff come out. We're seeing a lot more content. We're being exposed to more of what's going on in people's lives, where they're going, what they're eating, what they have in their lives. We're being exposed to it because how many of y'all know that ignorance is bliss? Like, I didn't know I needed the new iPhone 6 until I saw the commercial for the iPhone 6, and then I knew. I had to have the iPhone 6. Or some of you feel that way about certain outfits or maybe the car you drive or whatever it is. You didn't know you needed to have it until, until you were exposed to it and then, and then you need to. And you're seeing it all. Some of you are stay-at-home moms and you're, you're walking around in sweatpants and every single one of your shirts are stained by SpaghettiOs and you've been rocking that ponytail for the fifth day in the row. Oh, and it's possible you haven't showered until about noon today because you have been taking care of the kids, and you've snuck off to the bathroom where the critters don't go, and you've pulled up Instagram, and you have looked on Instagram, and you've seen the working mom, and she's out in her pants suit, and she's off in fancy places posting about where she's at. She's at a Roosevelt's coffee shop downtown, and she's meeting somebody interesting, drinking a s'mortado, and you're like, what in the world is a s'mortado? But let me tell you, you need to have a s'mortado. There's coffee with, with chocolate and graham cracker crumbles and a little stick with Flame marshmallows, they give you just to put right in that little smortado. Change your life, I promise you this. Jesus and smortado, that's your takeaway for today. <laughs> but 
but you see this on Instagram and, and you're that stay-at-home mom and you see the working mom and she's out and doing it and you suddenly feel lost. Or you see where somebody's eating and you look down and you're having McDonald's or Chipotle, which is nothing wrong with Chipotle, but, but there are nicer restaurants out there to go to. Man, somebody's got a big old steak on their plate and that looks good and compared to Chipotle. You feel like, man, I'm missing out. Maybe others of you, you, you see that, that uh, so-and-so's husband or spouse has created something crafty online. They took like some pallet wood and just some extra pieces of wood that were laying around the garage, and they made this beautiful table that is now in your living room and is the centerpiece, and everybody loves it, and everybody's commenting on it. It's so beautiful, and you look over at your spouse going, why can't they do that? And they're sitting there on the couch asleep drooling or possibly double-chinning it while they look down at their Facebook and you feel a sense of loss. I just don't have everything. And when we continue to look at everybody else's stuff, we begin to feel like their lives are better than ours. And it's a toxic lie, I think, that we buy into. Everyone has it better than me. And social media just does this to us. It increases that feeling in our hearts and our lives. I call Facebook or Instagram or anybody's stuff, I call it their highlight reel. Because really, people are only posting their best moments of the day, right? And that's what we use to compare to our lives and say, I want that because I don't have that moment. I didn't have that experience that they're experiencing right now. Researchers did a study, and they took college kids, and for two weeks, they had them come in, and every day, they had them sit down and consume 30 minutes of Facebook, just surf their friends' Facebook pages. And what they did before they did that, before they had them sit there and, and peruse the content on Facebook, they ask them, how are you feeling right now? Everybody's, hey, I'm good, I'm good. And then after those 30 minutes, almost everybody who had sat there and looked at that content for 30 minutes came back and reported that they felt worse about themselves and about their lives. In fact, the number one feeling that they, were, that they cited was envy. In fact, it coined the term Facebook envy. They became envious of everybody else and what they were doing, where they were going, who they were interacting with, who they were hanging out with because of, of how it made them feel. And I would say that, it, that we don't mean to, to become discontent with what we have. We don't mean to want everybody else's life. We just kind of slip into it, right? It's, it, it, it's very easy, and that's why I think we need to talk about it. So if you're taking notes today, there's a couple things that, that discontentment, or there's a reason why discontentment creeps into our lives. And the very first reason is because it's deceptive. Discontent is deceptive. Romans 7, 7 says, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. What Paul is saying is that I would not have known that there was such a thing as sin. I would have continued on in ignorant bliss, but somebody shared the law with me. Somebody said, hey, this is what God says, and this is not his way of doing things. And when you do it that way, it's sin. He's like, I didn't even know. He, did, he didn't even know. He was deceived by it. It was, it was deceptive to him. He w- wasn't aware. And content, discontentment is one of those things. It is deceptive. It is easy to become discontented. Deception by its very nature means we aren't aware that it's happening, right? Now, as a magician, you guys know I do sleight of hand card tricks and magic tricks and things I have since I was 16. When I met my wife, I shared, I did tricks for her. I did it on our first date. That's how I asked her to marry me was with a magic trick and so on and so forth. And I've shown them to her over the years. And when we got married, she said, you're going to show me how you do that trick? I was like, no. 
But man, she's persistent. And so I started showing her some of the tricks and how they were done because there's a method. It's not real magic. Sorry, don't mean to ruin and rock your worlds, but there's a way that I do what I do. And so I started showing it to her. This is how I do this trick. This is how I do that trick. And what happened is, is, is the, the deception that she was under began to lift. She began to be aware of how she was becoming deceived and how easy it was for me to deceive her. She began to be aware of my mannerisms and why I was doing what I was doing. And so now when I do a trick for it, very rarely fools her. She looks at me and goes, saw that. I know how you did that. Even if she doesn't really know, she can critically think about what I'm doing and she can wager a guess. Why do I tell you that? Because that's why we're talking about discontentment. Because it's deceptive. And if we talk about it, if we can reveal how it works into our lives, then we can be aware of it. We can deal with it. The second thing that discontentment is, is it's destructive. This is why we need to deal with it. Proverbs 14.30 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy is, is thinking about what you don't have and essentially doesn't even look at what you do have. It makes you frustrated with what you do have. And envy, if you walk around with envy and jealousy in your heart, leads you to rotting away internally. That's what it does to you. It tears at your world. But it says a heart at peace, a heart that is happy with what you have in life, a heart that is okay with your circumstances and your possessions and your relationships, that heart gives life to the whole body. So I want to say this, that there is no way we can live in a place of peace and joy if we are wrapped up in discontentment. So let's spend some time looking at discontentment. There are three different kinds, I think, that are available to us and, and work their way into our lives. And then I'm going to tell you how we deal with them, okay? The first kind of discontentment, if you're taking notes, is material discontentment. This is just when you look at your stuff. This is how much stuff I have. My stuff is better than their, theirs, or their stuff is better than mine. It's like guys, you know, with our cars, or my car is nicer than theirs, goes faster than theirs, is redder than theirs, has leather seats, and theirs has cloth. Like, it's, it's about our stuff. Or, or ladies, here's the deal. Somebody takes a picture, and they put it up on Instagram, and it's a picture of brownies. Now, the brownies are not what gets you excited or even frustrated or upset. It's the nice new countertops that those brownies are sitting on top of. It's the cupboards that are new in the background and the granite and the stove. They, you look at that and you go, how come my spouse can't do that? How come we can't spend that kind of money? Look at all the nice stuff that they have. Yeah, the brownies look great, but man, I'm drooling over the counters. You know what I'm talking about. Others of you, it's, it's that friend who posts up the pictures of vacation. It's like, if I have to look at their feet in the sand one more time... I'm going to go crazy. You see what's going on, and it leads you to be discontent with your situation. You walk by boutiques, stores, and you see the outfits in the window, and you've got to have them. You, wanna, you, you feel horror about, about what you're wearing. I don't know if you've walked into any stores, but all the new winter gear is out, and I'm just sitting here wearing the same stuff I've worn for the past three winters. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, that's nice. Flannel's back in. That's great. I guess if you just hang on long enough, it comes back around, you know? But, we, but we, feel, we feel discontented about our stuff. The second, the second type of discontentment is relational. You look across your life and relationally, some of you are, are single and all you want to do is be married. Others of you are married and you just want to be single. <laughs> Others of you have kids and, and you think, man, I, I want some more kids. Others of you have no kids and do desire them. Others of you have kids and are ready for them to go. 
relationally. You wish that your family was closer. You wish you had closer friends, more support in your life from what you're doing. You wish you were having more fun, more people to hang out with. You know, it's funny, when we were kids, man, if you wanted to know who was the most popular kid in school, all you had to do was, was look and see where everybody was sitting. If you were sitting by yourself or by yourself at recess, you were probably not very popular. You know what I'm saying? But today, we judge our popularity by how many followers you have, how many friends you have on Facebook, right? We can actually quantify it and assign a number. We can rate how popular we are. By the way, I have over 2,000 friends on Facebook. I'm just saying. That's because I say yes to everybody. That's not true. That's not, she's right. That is not true. If you are a dude in a sweater vest holding two or three kittens, I do not say yes to you. <laughs> it's just, I just don't. I have, I have standards. But now we rate how popular we are based on how many likes we get and how many comments people make on our, on our pictures that we post, right? We know how popular we are. And so we compare ourselves to other people. It's like I threw out that 2,000 number. Some of you have like 300 friends. are like, dang, 2,000? I must not be as popular as he is. Now I just say yes to everybody. Can't compare? The other way that, that, the other form of contentment is circumstantial discontentment. This is where you would say to yourself, I thought at this point in my life that I would have what? You thought you'd be further in your career, thought you'd have more money, maybe you thought you'd be married or that your kids would be grown by this point. You thought that whatever it is by this point, maybe you'd, you'd have started that business you wanted to do. For me personally, I know that, that I told people when I was younger, I'm a smart dude, I'm going to be an accountant, I'm going to go and make some money, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. Guess what? I'm 36. I'm nowhere close to being a millionaire. Not even close. Thought by this time I would be. But I had no plan. I mean, I didn't realize it took a plan. Just, just say things and they happen, I thought. But, I, I, but when you look across your life, you would say, I'm, I'm dissatisfied with my, the life that I have. And I want what other people have in their lives. You know, it's really easy for me. I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. It's easy for me to slip into discontentment. Like, look, I work every weekend. And you all, you all are off on the weekend. You all go places. You go to the lake. You get on a boat. Look, I want to spend a Sunday on a boat sometime. I want to go tubing sometime. And I've just resolved in my heart that it's okay. You all can go. I'll just be here saving the world, preaching Jesus, and you can be out on your boat doing whatever it is that you're doing. It would be easy for discontentment to slip in on my circumstances because y'all are doing fun stuff, and I want to do that. Easy to do that. Looking at other people's lives, discontentment sneaks in without us realizing it. Chuck Swindoll says that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to it. And yet, we live our lives as if the opposite were true. We live our lives as if, if life was all about 90% of what happens to us and 10% of how we respond to it. In other words, we feel like, I have no choice. I have no choice to have peace. I have no choice to enjoy my circumstances, my stuff, my relationships right where they are. I don't have a choice about that. 
And so we live our lives that way, but it's completely flipped. It's completely flipped, and we are not at peace with anything, with our possessions, with our relationships, our careers. Well, the Apostle Paul gives us the secret to being content in every station of our life. And before I share it with you, he wrote it in a letter to the church of Philippi. And, and let me explain to you, he, when he gives us this secret of being content in every, every, in every way, he is not in a position of comfort as he's writing this letter. Paul's in prison, he's shackled two guards, and he's waiting to die. And he's been that way for two years. And he's writing this letter to the church, and this is what he says to them about being content. He says in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. Does anybody identify with that? I know what it is to be bankrupt and I know what it is to have money. I know what it is. This is Paul. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry. Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to call him on that one because when I'm hungry, there is nothing that can make me content except some food. Anybody there with me? Right, we've got a few of you. He says, but I can be content. Whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's his secret. He can do all the things through Christ who gives him strength. Listen, you will struggle with contentment in your life until Jesus is your foundation until he is all that you have. It's a toxic trap for us that we fall into all the time where we find our identity in our things, in our relationships, in our success, but all of these things are empty because once you get that level of success or that relationship that you're after or whatever, that financial level that you want to obtain, as soon as you get those things, all you want is more. They are completely unsatisfying. You are not what you have. You are not, your relationship does not define you, and the title that comes after your name does not determine your value. You will never be all that Jesus, or all you can be without Jesus as the foundation of your life. Why? Because you are not meant for these things. You are not designed just to have relationships, just to acquire stuff just to be good at your job. You were not designed for these things. You were designed, you were created to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. You were designed to, be, to enjoy God and to give him glory all of your days. And so he must be our all in all. We must find our foundation in Christ. A simple indicator as to whether he is or not is whether you're experiencing envy or jealousy in your life or discontentment. If you're experiencing these things, if when you encounter that person or see what someone has and that, that twists in your stomach and you feel it, Jesus is not the center or the foundation of your life. Your stuff is. So we can shift. Now I'm going to tell you how to deal with this, but before I do, I'm going to give you a moment of clarification. I am not against the internet. I am not against social media. I am not against any of this stuff. In fact, I think they're wonderful. I think we are more connected to our brothers and sisters around the world than ever before. And what that does is it allows us to mobilize when we see that people are in need. We can send them financial help. We can send them personal help. We can go. We can be praying for them. I think it's an incredible thing. The gospel is being preached on every single one of these platforms that are provided nowadays, and I love that. I closed my Facebook for a while, but I opened it back up because I realized that there are 2,000 
some people that follow me that I am sending out the gospel to every single week and encouraging them and pointing them to Christ. I am for social media. It's incredible. The Periscope app is completely free, and we live broadcast our services around the world. Anybody can watch it. When used to cost hundreds of dollars or even thousands of dollars a month for churches to broadcast the gospel, now we can do it for free. I am for social media. But I think we need to be aware of how it is impacting us. I think we need to be aware of what we need to do and how we need to guard our hearts in response to what's happening to us now. So here's how. Here's how we deal with the discontentment in our lives. The very first thing we do is kill comparisons. If you're taking notes, this is it. Kill comparisons. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some, some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. He says, when we compare ourselves with somebody else, this is not a wise thing. This is the Bible, mic dropping on you. They didn't say it wasn't a good idea, or it might not be that good for you. He said it's unwise. It's unwise for you to compare your life, why? Because God has an individualized and intentional purpose for you. Your life is not going to look like the person's life sitting next to you. You have an individual plan and a purpose that God has designed for you. And when you compare it, you become discontent. You're missing out on what God has for you because you're looking at everything else, everyone else, and what they have in their lives. For you married folks, you say, well, God has a plan and a purpose for our marriage. Yes, he does, but he also has a plan and a purpose for you individually. And you cannot miss out on that. You can't miss out on it by comparing your life to everyone else's. Your journey is going to be different than everybody else's in this room. You're going to get married at different times. You're going to have success in your careers at different times. Your relationships are going to be up and down because that's just the way they go. And all the married people said, amen. Everything is going to be up and down. It will be different for everyone. But comparing causes dissatisfaction with what God has given us, and we are in dangerous territory when we begin to do that. When we try to live someone else's story, we just end up depressed and miserable. Even as a new church plant, when we launched out, there were several other churches that launched around the same time as us. It was easy for us to look at them and go, man, well, they've got this, or they have this resource, or you know, they have this kind of money, and they have this kind of facility. Like, let me tell you something. This is not a complaint. This is just an observation. We started in a funeral home. Do you know any other church that started in a funeral home? It was really easy for me to get on my knees and talk to God and say, you know, I'm not really sure you've got this right. Because they're over there in a school. They've got their own building already. But we're in, a, we're in a funeral home. And you're aware that people aren't coming because they feel weird about that. Are you sure you've got this right? It was very easy for us to compare. But I remember one point in time when we were looking at outreaches and looking at what everybody else was doing that God spoke clearly to me. And he said, you're not called to do what they're doing. I've put you here in a specific place for a specific time, and you are going to do what I'm telling you to do because you're going to reach the people if you obey me. Don't look at what that church is doing. Don't worry about how they're leading their outreaches or what they're doing over there. You just stay, stay the course, son. And I've stayed my course, and look how God has continued to bless us. That's not a pat on my back. I'm saying it's easy to slip into it, even in the church world. This is not perfect. We're imperfect people serving a perfect God, chasing after what he's called us to do. 
We need to celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives and other people's experiences. Comparison prevents that. Look at James 3, 14 through 16. It says, but if you harbor, if you harbor, that means you hold on to bitter envy, I love the description of that, and selfish ambition, it's all about me, in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, look, it puts it in air quotes here. It's in the quotations. Such wisdom. Because the people of the day would have said, this is the way to live your life. This is the world. Bitter envy. This is how we live. This is what we do. Selfish ambition. It's all about me. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is these three things are powerful. Earthly. Unspiritual. Demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Ooh, those are strong words, aren't they? Look, here's the Bible mic, mic dropping on you again. Envy's not just a bad idea. It's a horrible idea. It is demonic. It is like that, that work of the enemy that is like attacking everything that God wants to do in your life. And because this is the situation, we need to be active in taking part in eliminating it from our lives. Some of you, let me give you some suggestions here how, how you can kill comparison. Some of you on your internet feed and in, in your, your social media, you need to take a break. Some of you just about dropped your phone. You just about stopped looking up from Facebook and said, what did he just say? <laughs> you need to take a social media break. Look, post on there, say, hey, everybody, I'm taking a 30-day break or a week break so nobody gets hurt when you don't respond to their funny posts. Others of you, you just need to be aware as you're looking through your feed that when you see when somebody posts something that your stomach turns and you're feeling that envy, if that's the case, just unfollow them. You don't have to unfriend them. I realize that when you unfriend people on Facebook, it's like it happened in real life. Like people get really upset about that. Why aren't we friends on Facebook anymore? I'm not telling you to do that. But you can unfollow them so that their posts don't show up in your feed anymore so that you don't see them when you log on. That's a simple way that you can do that. Others of you, it doesn't have anything to do with technology. Others of you, it might just be a catalog that shows up at your house. It's got the new tools or the new, newest outfit or the newest technology, and you're looking at it, and you just you feel like, why don't I have that? You can kill comparisons. Cancel that catalog subscription if it's such an issue for you. Cut it out of your life. Others of you got shopping apps on your phone. Like I love Kickstarter and some of these other apps. They're great. I love new technology when it comes out, and I love getting it at half off. Doesn't that sound great? And I love Kickstarter, but man, I can feel bad about myself and feel like I have nothing if I spend any time on those things. You've got to delete them from your phone. Get rid of them. Stop looking at them. Some of you just need to turn off HD, HGTV. You know what I'm saying? Because you all know none of that stuff is real, right? Can nobody do what they do with the amount of money and the products that they provided? Oh, some of you are going, challenge accepted. But look, let me be real honest with you. HGTV, and I, and I think even more so that Pinterest was invented by the devil to destroy the husband's weekends. You know what I'm saying? I, that stuff just isn't real. It's, it's trying to help you. But we need to kill comparisons. And we need to get to a place where we can honestly celebrate someone else's blessing, especially when it exceeds the blessing in our lives. Do you hear me? We need to get to a place where we can celebrate, celebrate the blessing in somebody's life even when it exceeds our own. I mean, some of y'all, you've been in a relationship for a long time, and your friend, who you just know is absolutely crazy and out of her mind, just got engaged, and she's only been dating this guy for three months. What's wrong with me? 
She cray cray. She's getting married. <laughs> you need to celebrate that with her. Others of you, you've got a buddy who goofs off and plays golf more than he's at work. But guess what? He just got the promotion over you and you've been putting in all the overtime. Can you celebrate that with him? Can you celebrate that blessing? Can you know the junk in others' lives and be okay when God blesses them despite it? Can you be okay with that? If you can't, then if you can't be happy for them, maybe you need to cultivate gratitude in your life. Gratitude, you know what it is? It's a per perspective flip. That's what it is. It's refusing to look at what others have and begin to look at what you do have. Envy is resenting the blessing of God in others' lives while ignoring his goodness in our own lives. Our story is not their story. Our lives are not their lives. We can't miss what God is doing in our lives, so we have to stop, kill those comparisons, and begin to look at our lives and say, wow, I am thankful. Look at all that I do have. Look at what I do have in my life. Proper perspective will impact you immensely. It was an African king, and I'm, don't worry, I'm, I'm closing here. I'm all, I'm all done today. There's an African king who has a friend. And everything in life that he faces, he answers with, is good. This is good. Doesn't matter whether it's good or bad happening in his life, this is good. One day, he and the king are out in their hunting, and the friend loads the gun for the king, but he misloads it. And the king goes to shoot at the animal that he's hunting, and it explodes in his hand and blows his thumb off. Don't worry, that's as graphic as it gets. And the king is outraged. And he turns to his friend, and he says, look, my thumb is gone. And his friend says, this is good. <laughs> king was done. Struggle is real. You're going to jail. And he threw his friend into jail. A year later, that same king is out, and he's hunting, and he's overtaken by a tribe of cannibals, and they take him back to their camp, and they're going to dine on his flesh. And they look, and they notice that his thumb is missing. And the cannibals, for whatever reason, are a suspicious group of people, and they don't want to eat you if you're missing any body parts. So they release the king back into the wild, and the king ran home, and the first thing he did was go to his friend, and he released him from jail, and he said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you were right. That was a blessing. And I've, here I've left you in jail for a year. And his friend said, this is good. He said, how can this be good? Look at you, you're thin. You've wasted away to nothing. Eating the food that they serve you in jail. You've lost a year of your relationships. How can this be good? And his friend looked at him and said, because if I wasn't in jail, I'd have been with you. <laughs> Some of y'all, you need to ask somebody next to you to explain it to you when service is over. But it's good. It's all about a perspective switch. Proverbs 15, 15 says, For the despondent every day brings trouble, but for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. This is about perspective. If you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. If you're looking for heartache, you're going to find it. But a happy heart is a continual feast. We can't be caught up in comparisons. We'll never be happy. We have to find heart peace. Life can be rich 
instead of complaining about what you're going through or how busy you are or that you gotta take your kids here and there, you can say, you know what? Isn't this wonderful that we live in a country where we're free to experience these things? That I can take my kid to this event, that he can have this opportunity to grow in this sport or have this educational thing or play in that, that orchestra. And instead of complaining about running here and there all around the square, we can say, man, isn't it great that we get to? That our lives are full of events, that our, our lives are richer because of our relationships. Can we flip the perspective and be thankful, cultivate gratitude in our hearts and our lives? When we do, we'll be able to kill comparisons effectively. We'll be able to eliminate discontentment from our hearts. Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. And I know that that's tough for all of us because we go through different seasons of our life where things are up and down. I know what it's like to be without. I know what it's like to have. I, I prefer to have. I do. I think we need to focus on what God has given us and to not miss out on what he's doing currently in our lives. And when we do, we will tap into that power that Paul talked about in that secret, that Jesus becomes the foundation of our lives. He becomes the strength that we need to be content in every situation, in everything that we face. With his power work inside of us, we will kill comparisons. We'll find a way to elevate gratitude, our level of gratitude in our lives. Paul says it best, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to speak to first the people that would identify as Christ followers in this room, just like me. You'd say, Aaron, today I'm listening to this, and, and as you're talking through it, you're talking about me. You're talking to me. Was this message for me? I'm discontent. I've been unthankful. I've been living a life of comparison, and today I need God's help. I need to turn to him. I need to repent to make him the foundation of my life again. I need to be thankful for what he's given me. I need to kill comparisons and cultivate a heart of gratitude. If you are a Christ follower and you would say, Aaron, that's me, I've slipped into it. I didn't mean to get here, but I am. And today you want to say, I need to turn. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. If that's you, would you put your hand in the air and say, that's me? Pray for me today? Yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. There's hands all over this place. Appreciate that honesty. This is where change happens, right here. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Thank you. I'll pray for you in just a moment, but let me also say this. To everyone else in the room, maybe those of you, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey. Maybe Jesus is a brand new concept to you and you're not a Christ follower yet. Let me say something to you as you pursue life, as you pursue relationships, as you pursue stuff, that none of it will ever bring you contentment. None of it will ever fill that hole and that void in your life. You'll get more and more of it and you'll get to the top of that mountain of your career, of your relationship, or whatever it is, and it will be empty because you were not meant to have that hole in your heart filled by those things. That hole is only to be filled by Christ, by Jesus. Because when he fills that hole in your heart, you will have meaning. 
You will have purpose. He'll transform you completely because you were not built for this earth. You were not built for this stuff. You were created for eternity in heaven with him, but you cannot get there without Jesus. And right now in this moment, you have that opportunity to turn to him, to receive him, to begin that walk with him. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment, and if you want to be counted in on that prayer, would you let me know by putting your hand in the air right now? Say, Aaron, I'm turning to Jesus. I need to make him Lord of my life. Shoot your hand in the air right now. Do it now. Do it now. Give your life to him. Thank you. Put your hands down. This is your moment. I'm going to give you the words to pray, and you can pray them out loud or quietly in your heart. You just need to mean them. It's Jesus. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you came to this earth and lived a perfect, sinless life. That you died on the cross and rose from the dead so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be made new. Jesus, give me your spirit. Show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Be Lord of my life. I need you. And Father, I pray for every person in this room that raise their hand and say, this is where I'm at, I'm discontent. Envy is rotting me from the inside out. Lord, I pray in this moment as they turn to you right now, that you would forgive, that you would wash away that envy and that bitterness, Lord, and that you would strengthen them for the journey. You would give them wisdom to know the decisions that they need to make in their lives, Lord, so that they can kill comparisons teach them how to cultivate gratitude in their lives by looking at what they do have instead of looking at what they don't. God, this work, this effort that we would make, we are powerless to do it without you. We need you at work in our lives, so be at work now. Be at work this week in our hearts and our lives. God, we need you so much. We need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.